smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways, but now he's spoken by his son. Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today, Matt Waldron continues our series on Bible reading tools. He speaks to us on Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 20, on the topic of sin. Here's Matt. Good morning, everyone. Sorry I can't be there in person. I've been struck recently by some of the big things going on in the world and some big trouble happening in the world. And I've been struck by how difficult I've found it to keep up with the news on those things. I feel like I've got enough going on in my own life to cope with. And I'm aware that uh, I'm very fortunate compared to most people in the world. So I take it that I don't need to convince you that there are problems in the world. But the Bible says that the problems between people are actually symptoms of our problem with God. So today I'm going to be summarising what the Bible says about sin. I'm going to talk about the nature of sin, the effects of sin and the story of sin. We'll look at some uh, Bible passages and I'll uh, make some brief applications. So firstly, uh, the nature of sin. Sin is against God, universal and total. So firstly, sin is against God. 1 John chapter 3 verse 4 says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. That's 1 John 3 4. So, When someone breaks the law, they're indicating that either they think the law doesn't apply to them or they think they know better than the law, whatever it is. And depending on the country and what the law is, uh, that might be reasonable. But whenever we do something wrong, something immoral, we're breaking God's law. We're indicating either that we don't care what God thinks, we think we know better, we think God doesn't exist, and so we're sinning against God. Secondly, sin is universal. So Romans 3, 10 to 12, puts it like this. Romans 3, 10 to 12. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Uh, There's no one righteous. There's no one who truly seeks God. Everybody has turned away from God. Together we've all become worthless. There is no one who really does good. Because even when we're doing good, we're not doing good because we want to do good according to God. We're doing good because we just want to do it. We're still sinning against God. We're still behaving as if God's standards of right and wrong don't apply to us. And thirdly, sin is total. That is, the total person is involved. In Mark chapter 7, 20 to 23, Jesus says this. Mark 7, 20 to 23. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within 
out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So here Jesus says that evil comes from the very deep centre of our being. And it defiles the whole person. So it's not like there are some superficial parts of us that are left kind of untainted by sin. And it's not as if there's some deep part of me that uh, is pure. No, no. Evil comes from within and defiles the person. So, this is what I mean by sin being against God, universal and total. It seems to me uh, the first of these is the one that we struggle with the most. The idea that all wrongdoing is against God. I think part of the problem is uh, just that because God is different from us, uh, what is due to him and what constitutes doing wrong by him is different to us. Why do we sometimes deny people their rights? Why do we have debates about what rights people are entitled to? Because we all deny God his rights as the creator. Why do people fail to treat each other with a basic respect? Well, because we're all committed to withholding the respect that is due to God. And so that overflows in the way we treat each other. Why are people so prone to prejudice? Well, because we all distrust God for being different to us. So, that's the nature of sin. It's against God, it's universal, and it's total. That brings us to the effects of sin. And I'm going to summarise the effects of sin as God's wrath, frustration and decay, and self-deception. So firstly, uh, God's wrath, we see in John chapter 3, verse 36. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. I partly picked this verse because I wanted to just not forget the rest of the picture of the Bible, that whoever believes in Jesus is rescued from sin and death and God's wrath. Uh, but we've got to notice, the idea is because we've all sinned against God, because this is a universal, because this is the whole person, it means our default state is that we are under God's wrath. Notice this doesn't say, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son, God's wrath will come on them. It's actually whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. We already have God's wrath on us. And it's just a question of how that progresses unless we believe in Jesus. So God's wrath. Secondly, uh, the whole world, the whole creation is frust frustrated by decay. Uh, Romans 8, 19 to 21. Romans 8, 19 to 21. For the creation waits in eager expectation 
for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So, the whole natural world, the whole universe, was subjected to frustration, not because of some choice within the universe, but God himself uh, subjected it in hope that he's looking forward to redeeming the people he's chosen, his children. And so at the moment, the whole natural world is bound over to decay, to death, to uh, sickness, to things going wrong. And so the created world cannot fulfill God's good design because of this curse that sin has brought on the world. So God's wrath, frustration and decay, and finally, self-deception. Uh, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 puts this in a nutshell. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's in a nutshell. Uh, our human hearts are deceitful. We can't even understand ourselves, let alone cure ourselves. So there's uh, kind of a pretty good summary of what the Bible says about sin. The nature of sin, it's against God, it's universal, it's total. And the consequences of sin are God's wrath, frustration and decay, and self-deception. But I think more so than a lot of the other topics that we're summarising, it's really important that we see the basics of applying this as really integrated into our summary. And so I'm going to do that by telling the story of sin. And so there are three characters that really outline our story. There's Adam, us, and Jesus. So I've just written Adam and us next to this little stick figure person, and Jesus in the crown for God. So firstly, because uh, sin is universal for all people, it shouldn't come as a surprise that the first humans sinned. Uh, Romans 5, 12-14 puts it like this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So here, the Bible says really clearly that sin entered the world through Adam. Uh, one of the things that's, uh, I think, potentially confusing about this is that, well, it's quite complicated. There's a, a number of things involved in that. Uh, but a couple of things that are unavoidable are that because the first human sinned, that now makes it inevitable that all people will sin. Uh, when two giraffes have a baby, they have a baby giraffe. When two cows have a baby, they have a baby cow. When two sinners have a baby, they have a baby sinner. 
But at the same time, it also means not only did sin come into the world, but death came into the world. In other words, uh, we're also all guilty uh, for, for our sin. Uh, I think uh, for a lot of us, this feels at best very counterintuitive. If there is something in me that means I am inevitably going to sin, it's in my nature, then how can it be my fault? Uh, however, it seems to me we don't use this reasoning consistently. So, for example, uh, if someone uh, is taken to court, charged with committing some terrible crime, and as they're, you know, talking about what happened, uh, it becomes clear that this crime does not reflect their character. It does not reflect their personality. Uh, they didn't plan it. They had no motive. It suddenly just happened completely disconnected from anything about them, any of their experience, any of their reasoning. It just happened without being connected to any part of them. Well we'd probably say that that uh, crime was committed due to insanity, temporary or otherwise. In other words, because it doesn't come out of the person's nature, it doesn't come out of their personal motives, they are less responsible. Uh, whereas when it comes to the idea of us being born with a sinful nature, uh, a lot of us seem to want to reason that, well, if it comes out of my nature then I'm not responsible for it. Whereas in the case of a criminal court, if it doesn't come out of the person's nature, they're not responsible for it. So we can't have it both ways, it seems to me. Uh, when I sin, it's not because something outside of me is making me do it. It's because that's who I really am. That's what I really want. It's completely appropriate that I'm held responsible for that. So that brings us to us. Uh, and I think this is the thing that's uh, easy to surprise. Well, it's easy to miss this when we're talking about sin. But we're never going to really talk about sin properly unless we face the fact that we're talking about ourselves. And particularly, one of the effects of sin is to make people self-deceived. And so, because that's us, it means as we think about sin, we are inclined to be self-deceived. We're inclined to not think how it applies to us. Or we're inclined to pick holes in it because we know ultimately it's talking about us. And uh, just because we believe this stuff, we become convinced, we turn to Jesus and follow him, that doesn't make us immune. So I think this is one of the reasons that Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That's in Luke 9.23. Luke 9.23. Then Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. We do start following Jesus by denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. But we have to do that daily because 
we need to keep renewing our minds. We're going to keep being inclined to deceive ourselves about what's right and wrong. Following Jesus is not just about turning over a new leaf. And now that I've decided to be a good person, I just keep doing that. No, no, no. Following Jesus is about daily denying myself. Remembering that I'm inclined to deceive. It's not just that I don't always want to do the right thing. I'm inclined to trick myself about what the right thing is. Thankfully, that brings us to Jesus. And uh, the important thing about Jesus is, he's the exception. I've just said that sin is universal. But Jesus came as a new person, a new kind of person, still fully human, still the same design in creation, but not in sin. So Hebrews 7 puts it like this. Hebrews 7 verses 23 to 28. Hebrews 7, 23 to 28. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Well, it's pretty clear this is lifted out of a longer argument that uh, the book of Hebrews is presenting. But the, the main idea is there in the middle, right? Jesus is a unique high priest who truly meets our need because he's holy. He's blameless. He's pure. He's set apart from sinners. He's, he's different from us in that respect. Uh, the book of Hebrews also explains that he has to be fully human. So he is human the way God designed us to be in creation. But he's not a sinner the way we have fallen, rebelled and disfigured our natures. So this means we need to be personally engaged with Jesus himself. When it comes to how to live a good life, how to live a fulfilling life, Jesus isn't just the source of the best teaching on the subject. He's not just the best example on the subject. He is the unique new human, the only place where we can connect with being truly human. Sometimes people will say, well, I like Jesus' teaching, but I don't like the church. Well, I figure if you don't like the church, fair enough. There are lots of things not to like in the church because it's full of sinners like the rest of the world. But if you like Jesus' teaching, I want to ask, how do you feel about Jesus himself? 
Imagine uh, a single man is, uh, you know, mixing in his community and an older lady perhaps asks him uh, what he thinks of her single daughter who's around his age. And the young man says, oh, she's very nice. And so uh, this older lady says to him, well, why don't you ask her out for dinner? So at that point, he's probably thinking, I reckon, one of three different things. He could be thinking, well, I was just saying that to be polite. I don't like her that much. He could be thinking, actually, I think I can do better. Or he could be thinking, oh, I'm worried she's out of my league. I'm just going to get rejected if I ask her. Well, just to put the last one out of, uh, out of our concerns, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you like Jesus' teaching... Uh, you're not really putting anything into following it or following Jesus because it just seems too hard. Well, you need to hear this word from Jesus. He is gentle. He is humble. Uh, following him is designed to be doable. You're not going to get everything right. But you can trust him. He's, he has, he doesn't, Jesus does not turn anyone away. Jesus doesn't reject anyone. But if you just like Jesus' teaching because you think you can do better, well, you are deceiving yourself. Jesus is the unique, perfect human, the only new human, the only truly fulfilled human. He is humanity 2.0. And so connecting with him personally is the only way to be connected with God's renewed plan for the world and his plan for you. Of course, there are plenty of us who uh, trust Jesus, who have come to him, who are personally engaged with him, but we still struggle to do that consistently. Uh, I can think of a time just recently where I didn't really feel like reading the Bible and thinking about Jesus. I can think of a time recently where I was feeling tempted to do something wrong, and I didn't really want to think about how Jesus related to that. In those moments, I need to remind myself that Jesus is the only perfect human. Jesus is the only place in all the universe where I can connect with God's renewal of all things. What could be better than to think about him? What, what would be more important to think about as I'm making decisions? So, uh, I've got my diagram with a crown, a circle and a stick figure to summarize what the Bible says about sin. What is sin? It's against God, it's universal, and it's total. What are the consequences of sin? 
God's wrath, frustration and decay, and self-deception. And critically, we've got to remember the story of sin. How Adam brought sin into the world. How that means as we think about this, our sin is getting in the way of us understanding our sin. But Jesus is the one who can rescue us. There's a, a very romantic idea that there is one special person out there who will complete you. Uh, as far as I can tell, that's nonsense. There are lots of people out there uh, who would make good romantic partners. Romance, and even with the best uh, romantic partner, it doesn't make everything complete, so I have no further needs or desires. But there is one unique human being who will complete you. He's the only new human. He's the only pure human. He's the only one who you can join in with to be made complete. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to gently but clearly show us our sin. And more importantly, to sacrifice himself, to take away your wrath that we deserve. Thank you that by trusting in him, uh, we know that we are being made new. So please help us to keep denying ourselves and following Jesus so we can keep being made new, looking forward to the day when Jesus comes back and makes us complete forever. Amen.